Well, good morning, Adventure family. So happy to see you all here. I miss those of yous, those of yous, yous guys who's online, you know what I'm saying? I miss the ones who are not here, um, but that are watching online. I've heard from several people that um, they're not able to come. So um, please keep them in your prayers. We, we love you and we can't wait to see you again. Um, this morning, I, I really strongly believe that I have a, a prophetic word from the Lord, and I know that there are some traditions that don't believe that, that Jesus still speaks to his church today, but this is not a church like that. Amen? Amen. We believe that we don't have the strong, silent dad who never talks to his kids. We believe that he wants to have an impact on our lives and he wants to speak to us and through us. And of course, one of the best ways he does that is through the Bible and through reading the Bible. How many of you have ever, like you're just, you're feeling so broken or so hopeless or so destitute and all of a sudden you, you open it up and some psalm just leaps out and, and literally everything changes. That is a transforming power of God's word and God's spirit. And, you know, as the, as the small group, some of the small group leaders, there's, there's others, um, there's groups for singles, and there's groups, um, I think he mentioned for young adults, that's a, that's a rockin' group. And there's lots of, yeah, shout out, there's a, <laughs> there's a, lot, of, um, a, a lot of significance that happens within small groups. Um, you can't get that kind of relationship just on a Sunday morning. Um, you, can get, you can get pretty deep with people, but there's something about that ongoing hanging out together, being together, and iron sharpening iron sometimes, working through maybe conflict, but that is a really important part of it. Um, as I, as I, I saw Chris and Amy up here, the, the tall guy with the deep voice, the, the, what, the one most likely to play Jesus in a church play, <laughs> um, and his beautiful wife, Amy. Um, you know, I just am reminded of why we came out here from California 21 years ago, why, what, the, what the importance of, of our mission is in this church. It is obviously to love God and love people, but the Lord is in the business of transforming lives, he isn't just in the business of filling our heads with knowledge or, or just um, giving us, you know, something to do on a Sunday morning. The Lord is all about transformed lives. And uh, if you haven't ever heard Chris and Amy's story, it is, it is kind of a made-for-TV testimony. It's, I mean, I think they, when they first started coming to our parties, when we first came out here for the first whole year, we didn't, we didn't have church, we didn't do anything except have parties, which was super fun for me because I'm all about the party, but um, they, would, they would come to our parties and they didn't know the Lord and they were so high and, um, and now you look at them and you just think they're like this amazing godly couple and um, it's just incredible. And then watching, well, there were three Chris's up here, so apparently that is one of the qualifications to be a small group leader, is you have to be named Chris. There's Chris, Chris, and Chris. Um, but the, the couple that had the red t-shirts on, I mean, to, to just watch what the Lord has done in their lives, how he has transformed them. And I really believe this morning, um, as I mentioned, there's a prophetic word that I believe is, is transformative. And I'm going to bring that as we get, as we start in Galatians. Um, just for a little bit of a recap, now we're in chapter three. So 
Paul the Apostle is writing to these churches that he started in Galatia, which is like a region. It's not a city, it's, a, it's an area. And he started these churches. And then these people, the Judaizers, came in with a bunch of legalistic rules. And they said, you have to do these things to really be a Christian. And so Paul started um, in chapter three, which by the way, chapters are, are put in by human beings. The, this was just like a letter you know, whenever he wrote letters, they didn't have the little reference points. That just makes it easier for us when we're talking about it. But he says to them, he goes, what happened to you guys? Like, who, who messed you up? You know, who, who fooled you? Who tricked you? Who confounded you? Who bewitched you? And, and at that time, it was a very spiritual atmosphere in Galatia. There, so they understood what that meant. And he's just like... You think that you came to the Lord, that you received salvation by the grace of God, simply by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, but now you're gonna make it happen on your own? And remember, there's two different kinds of religion. There's a religion of, of our own works, and then there's the religion of the works that Jesus did for us on the cross when he paid the penalty. And that really, every other religion on earth, there's no other religion where the Lord does it for you. Only Christianity. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And our response is to receive that forgiveness and to walk in his spirit. And so, what happened was, we talked last week about how Abraham, who's called the father of faith, right? Father of faith. So in our minds, we think, well, if he was a father of faith, he must have been a perfect guy. But he wasn't a perfect guy. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is descriptive. It describes how things were. It's not prescriptive. So, so the stuff that Abraham did, even though he was the father of the faith, we're not supposed to do some of the dumb things that he did. You know, he lacked some faith. I mean, he was waiting for a really long time to have his heir. So he slept with his maidservant, not recommended. And Abraham was, was just, but he was considered the, the father of the faith. And he was a guy who received the promise. And does anybody remember what the promise was? You all failed the class. <laughs> he was promised that the righteous would live by what? Faith. faith. Good. He got an A. The righteous will live by faith, which is saying it's by faith that you can trust God. All he's asking is that you believe him, that you trust in him. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to work and work and work to get his love. So the question is, so there were, they were given this law and and, and the question that they ask in verse 19 is, why then was the law given? If the righteous are going to live by faith, if we're going to be saved just by, by believing God and trusting God, why do we need the law? So that's what the question is here, the law. Verse 19, why then was the law given? Well, here's the answer. It was added because of transgressions, or it's some versions say the sake of transgressions. It was because of transgressions. So they had, they had come into this, this relationship by faith, trusting in God, believing in God, but then there had to be the law. 
And what does the law do? Do you guys remember what the law does? The law points out things that we've done wrong. You know, we talked last week, if, if, uh, if any of you have ever had a highway patrol officer come and knock on your door and say, thank you so much for never speeding, that's not how it works. Or, or you walk out of a grocery store and they're like, wait, 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 we want to give you a gift certificate because you didn't shoplift. You know, that doesn't happen. The law is only when there's been transgression. And so that's what it's saying. Transgression is also like another word for sin or shortcoming or failure. And so it says here, it was added for the sake of transgressions or because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of one mediator. That was Moses. Remember, he was given the law. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but I want you to hear this now. God is one. Say one. That is the word, the Greek word is heis. Say heis. God is heis. God is one. Okay? It says, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? It's saying, so the, so the promise is that the righteous will live by faith, so then is the law contrary to that? It says, absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Does the law bring life? The law is incapable of bringing life. Does faith bring life? Yes. Faith brings life. Faith brings hope. Faith brings a confidence that God is who he says he is and that he's a God who keeps his promises. But the law cannot do that. It says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. So the law had to be given because people were still doing sinful things. That's just our nature. And it says, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who what? Those who what? Believe. This is what God's calling us to, faith. That's what faith is, believing. I just lost my place. Okay, it says, before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Anybody wonder? You read something in the Bible and you're like, I do not have a clue what that's talking about. Is it it just me? I want to just give you, this is just, an aside, but if you ever come to a section in the Bible and you just don't understand it, don't, don't be discouraged. You have the rest of your life to read the Bible, but I heard Tony Evans is one of my favorite Bible teachers, and he said, if you come to a difficult passage, just put a little mark by it and come back to it, but read the Bible so that God can bring you life. Read it so that he can encourage you and comfort you and strengthen you and maybe rebuke you and you know but but don't don't get too tripped up if you don't understand something unless you happen to be a student and you really want to learn what it means which I do strongly recommend and that's why you know going to bible studies and that kind of thing is good but this passage is talking about our guardian some translations call that a schoolmaster some call it a tutor the greek word is pedagogos 
which means somebody who is kind of like a chaperone. So these, these little Roman boys, Greek boys, they, they were the only ones that were allowed to learn. Girls were not allowed to learn back then. But they would have this, this man, a faithful servant, come to their home and take them to school or take them to, so that they could go learn. And I think, wow, that's a great idea. Anybody ever get in trouble on your way to or from school? I mean, how many of our horror stories occurred on our way home from school when we got bullied or something? I think this whole pedagogist thing is really good. Is you know They'd come and pick you up, and then they would take you so that you could learn. And it says that when faith has come, we no longer need that. So what happened is, so you get to the point where your faith is real, you have this relationship with the Lord, and you don't need the law to take you to your teacher anymore. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. What this is saying is that because of faith, you become a part of the family of God. And, and I'm gonna just explain, if you've never heard what the gospel is, you know, there's a lot of talk about the gospel. But what the gospel, according to Paul, is, is that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That none of us is perfect enough to go to heaven. And that we can't outweigh our, our bad works with our good works. And this was a sacrificial system during this time what they would do is say, say if you um, broke the law in any way, you'd, you'd have to bring in like a dove, a turtle dove, or you'd have to bring in something. And it would have to be sacrificed. That is the way that you would be cleansed of your sin. Because it says in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. So this is, they're talking about a sacrificial system that the law caused people when they sinned to have to sacrifice. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins, for the sins of the whole world, that sacrificial system was done. That he became the sacrifice once and for all. And that when we accept that forgiveness, when we confess that we can't earn our own salvation, when we receive the forgiveness that Jesus offered, and, and it says then, then we are born again. You can be born again of his spirit. And this is what the gospel is. And so when faith came, real faith that Jesus Christ already paid, that we will live by faith. We'll walk by faith by the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, we are adopted into the family of God. Okay? And that makes us all equal. You know, they say that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, that there aren't, there aren't these different levels of some people are holier, some people are, are better, or some people, God likes some people better. We're all equal. And it says for, in verse 27, those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So essentially, this is saying that you, you're taking off your old sweaty clothes and your old, you know, your old nature, you're removing that and you're being clothed with Christ. Or, as the Bible says, with righteousness. It doesn't mean you become perfect. It doesn't mean you never, ever sin again. But it means that you're forgiven, that you're covered in a right relationship with God, that Jesus Christ becomes your identity. He be, you, you become in Christ 
You're found in him. And it says here in verse 28, there's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, since you are all, say one. Heis. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now don't miss this point. It says if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, you are heirs according to the promise that you're gonna receive the inheritance. You're gonna receive eternal life. But it's saying that you are one. And you know, it was interesting this morning because we did a lot of songs about battle and war. And if you've never heard any of this, it probably sounds like we're pretty violent. But what it's talking about is a spiritual battle. And this is where I, I truly truly believe that the Holy Spirit has, has spoken to me about something that is, that is going on right now. Um, and that is, you see that God is talking about us becoming one. Heis. Before Jesus was crucified, he went into the garden and he prayed. And in John chapter 17... Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be, say it, one as we are. This is the prayer that, this is, this is one of the last things Jesus prayed before he was crucified. He's praying for believers. This is what they call the prayer for believers. He's praying that we would be one. Then skip down to verse 21. John chapter 17, verse 21. May they all be, say it, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, what is the purpose for this? So that the world may believe that Jesus sent, sent me. Jesus is praying for a unity among his believers, among his family, that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. Let's skip to verse 22. I have given them the glory you've given me so that they may be as we are. This is all that word heis. This is intense. Jesus is praying that we would be so unified that we would be one even as Jesus and his heavenly father are one. And that's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that we can be one. And then verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely that the world may know you've sent me and have loved them. Please get this, as you have loved me. That's a lot of love. That's a whole lot of love right there. Jesus is saying that the, that the Father loves us as much as him. That is a lot of love. And, and yet, what do you think Satan's number one trick would be? Anybody? Anybody? division to cause to cause us not to be one to cause us to be fragmented 
And this is what I really believe in. I, I, and I, I know, obviously, this started way before the coronavirus. I can't, you can't blame everything on COVID. I mean, there was, there was bad stuff going on before COVID, but it is easy to blame a lot of stuff on COVID. But I do think that COVID has propelled a spirit of division within the body of Christ, within marriages, within churches, within our nation, and even throughout the world. I believe that there is a spirit, a demonic spirit. And I know there, there are some traditions that don't believe that you should talk about the demonic. You know, they, there, there are two, ba- there's a balance. There's either, either people talk way too much about Satan, give him credit for everything. You know, they, they give him credit for their stupid choices, which he's not responsible for your dumb choices or mine. <laughs> or people just ignore her. They, they just dismiss, oh, that's, that's, not really, that's not really happening. But there, I can tell you, there is a spiritual realm. And listen to this, Ephesians chapter six. I'm not gonna go into this too in depth, but I believe that this is a word that the Holy Spirit put on my heart for us as a church. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strengthened, which is the word for power, for, for like might, be strengthened, be encouraged, be built up, be, be hopeful by the Lord. You can't do this on your own. It has to be by the Spirit of God. And it says, and by his vast strength. We have a resource we can tap into. We are not destitute. You know, Jesus, Jesus is our victor. We are not victims. And I've been studying so much um, just the end times and the prophecies that talk about the return of Christ. And I believe that we are getting closer and closer and closer, don't you? Anybody else feel that? Because Jesus prophesied and he said, there will be the increase of wickedness and the love of most will grow cold. And I want you to hear this. It says, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemata, the schemes of Satan to destroy you, to steal, to kill, to destroy. These are the plans of the enemy is he has schemes against you. He, ha- he actually is devising a plan B for your life, which stands for bad. <laughs> God has a plan A. Satan has a plan B, which is bad. Don't choose door number two. <laughs> this is a bad, terrible, awful plan for your life. And I want to be really honest. Some of you are playing into it. And we'll get to that in a minute but there is a spiritual realm out there and there is an enemy for your souls and he's actually devising schemes. You know, it's one thing if someone does something to you kind of unintentionally or maybe inadvertently they do something to you, but if they are actually going and planning to destroy you, that's a whole nother level of evil, isn't it? And there is a spiritual realm. And there are enemies of our souls. There are human beings that are, that are completely given over to the enemy, to Satan. And they're asking Satan to use them to bring destruction to 
the church, to marriages, to families, to friendships, to small groups. This is a scheme of the devil. And the Bible says we need to expose these things. We need to expose the darkness and we need to not be unwise to his schemes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you think I'm crazy? It says here, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now get this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is, it's not against people. Your, your arguments and your problems are not against people. Jesus is praying that we would be one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. Say, even though sometimes you tick me off. <laughs> Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is saying there are principalities, there are spirits that are out to get you. And, and, and you can deny it, and you can think, oh no, things are gonna get better. Things are gonna get back to normal. No, they're not. I'm sorry to break it to you. Things are not gonna get back to normal. There is gonna be the increase of wickedness. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And if you don't recognize that there is an enemy that wants to kill you and to steal from you and to destroy your life and your marriage and your friendships and your church and your work relationships and your witness at work, if you're a believer, there, is, there are spiritual things. It says here... We are working against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. We are working against dark forces. And, and you know, I would rather get up here and just you know, say, hey, you don't need to worry about these things because, because you know, that's, I mean, that doesn't happen in America. Anybody sensing that there's an increase in wickedness? There's a term in music called um, the coda. It's actually also, I, I think, in plays. The coda is kind of like at the very end. It kind of wraps everything up. And I have an acronym called CODA, and these are, these are just some of the schemes of the devil. These are some of the tools that the enemy uses in this CODA. The first one, C-O-D-A, the first one, C. At first I said it was criticism, which I do believe. I believe that, that the enemy wants to put a little seed of, of criticism in you, you know, you start out in a friendship or in a relationship or at a church or, you know, with a group of friends or whatever, and everything's great, but then all of a sudden they start to annoy you. And believe me, there are spirits that want to motivate division. There are spiritual forces that want to divide. And I also think, when we first moved to Utah, um, someone warned us that there is a spirit of confusion over this state. There's a, like, my husband and I, we would, we would be arguing pretty, like, vociferously. We would be having these arguments, but we would be saying the same thing, but just, there was just, like, a spirit of confusion 
over us. But, but the word of God says God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So when you are clothed in Christ, clothed in righteousness, you know, putting on the full armor of God, which this chapter in Ephesians chapter six, it goes on to explain it's, it's having the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, sh- the um, shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit, which is a word of God. This is the only offensive weapon is God's word. When the enemy came to Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus just answered him with scriptures. You know, the enemy tried to twist and distort, but Jesus answered back with scripture. And if you know what the word of God says, this is our sword. But it does say we need to just stand. And it says in having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Understand that there's, there's an enemy who wants to bring confusion and he wants to bring criticism. So that's the C. The O is offense. Right now, don't you notice in, in our culture, everybody's offended. I, I saw this little cartoon. It was a little kid going, Mommy, what do I need to do to get everything I want? She said, you just need to say two words. He said, what are those words? I'm offended. <laughs> but isn't it true? Everybody's so offended. Don't be that person. Be quick to forgive. Jesus says in the same way we have been forgiven, we need to forgive others. And let me tell you this. You can't do it on your own. In your own flesh, you can't. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ to forgive. So C is criticism or confusion. O, offense. You know, it says it's to our glory to overlook an offense. It's to our glory to overlook an offense. You can find something to be offended about. I promise you. Okay, so the D is division. We've already talked about that. There is a spirit of division that I actually believe has been assigned to rip and shred marriages, friendships, churches, this country. I really believe it's a spiritual force. It's a spiritual wickedness that has come to to carve people out. You know, like Ira was talking about those core groups and, you know, the enemy would like nothing more than to keep people apart, to keep people from relationships with one another, to keep people from encouraging one another and building one another up. Remember, Jesus said he wants us to be one. He wants us to be so unified. But if we have that criticism and we're just always offended and we build this case against someone else and then there's that division that causes us not to want to be with them and then the A is accusation and who is the accuser? Who, what does the Bible say? Who's the accuser of the brothers, the brothers and sisters? The devil. It says he actually stands there day and night accusing. He's like oh well you know Remember, Prentice, he did this to his wife and he said this and he was being really rude. Satan is just like trying so hard to remind God of all the things we've done. He's accusing, he accuses you. He knows, he knows enough about your nature to know exactly how to get to you. Satan is not omniscient. In other words, he doesn't know everything, but he knows enough about your nature to know exactly how to get to you, how to offend you, how to get you to divide from other people. 
And I mean, it, I mean, I know I'm not seeing anything new, but do you think social media is really bringing glory to God? And, and I'm not saying, I mean, I, I just think if you, if you wouldn't say it to someone's face, then don't, don't post it, you know? I mean, remember when Martin Luther posted? It was different. <laughs> he posted the, the, the Reformation. It was like, it's, wait a minute, we can't earn our salvation. We, we, can only, we can only be saved by grace. Please be a person of grace. Do not use social media as a weapon. This is, this is a tool of the devil. I'm not saying all social media is bad, but what I'm saying is the enemy wants to bring division and he wants to bring accusations. So, I just, I really believe that the Lord is saying to expose this. If you're sensing it in your marriage or in friendships or in your family, I, I definitely know that the, that the spirit of division has been trying to shred people here. But we need to stand firm. That's what it says in this passage. I'm not going to go into the rest of Ephesians 6, but when you get home, read this. Because it says you can stand firm when the day of evil comes. This is saying the day of evil is coming. But you can stand firm. And you are covered by the Lord of heaven's armies. He's the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is all powerful and almighty. Find yourself in him. Don't find yourself trying to fight on your own. You can't do it. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be found in Christ. Amen. So let's stand and let's just uh, do some business with Jesus. Um, if, if any of these things, if you recognize this in your own life, um, whether you're a perpetrator or whether you're a victim of it, we're just gonna, we're gonna take a stand against the evil one. We're gonna expose his schemes and take a stand. Amen? This is the battle that we're talking about. It's not against people. It's not even against ideologies. Well, partly it is, but it's not against, like, it's not a political thing. Remember Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet, what is the enemy trying to do? Masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines, you know, Democrat, Republican. It's like his kingdom is not of this world. You can still love people that you disagree with. You can still be loving. You can still be forgiving. You can still be gracious, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So if you would hold your hands out as a symbol that you want to receive what God has for you. I'm going to just uh, say a prayer and I'd like you to repeat after me if you agree. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you are the King. You are our God. You are the King of the universe. And you are blessed. And you love us with an everlasting love. And Lord, we don't want to be unwise. We want to recognize the devil's schemes and take a stand against him and against the spiritual forces and the principalities and the rulers of the darkness and of evil. Lord, we ask 
fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing so we can make a difference in our culture. So we can be used as light and truth and messengers, messengers of your good word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're somebody and, and, and if you feel like you've been a victim or you've been a perpetrator of any of these things that I mentioned, just get it out in the light. Maybe confess it to a friend or confess it to your spouse or your group leader or something, but get it in the light. Break the power of the evil one. He is, he is a prince of darkness. We can break his power by bringing things into the light, confessing, amen? And if you have never heard the message of the gospel, the, the cross of Christ, where he died for your sins, he was the final sacrifice. I would love to talk to you after service. Please come up and talk to me or talk to the person that brought you and ask them, what, what does that mean? How do I get in right relationship with Jesus? How do I stand clothed in Christ? Amen? All right, I love you all. Have a great week. Take somebody out for lunch. God bless you. God bless you.